This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today, those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige, and engineering. First. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Hello and welcome to the world's best construction podcast. This episode is sponsored by Bluebeam. I'm Fred Mills. I'm the founder, face and voice of the B1M and I'm joined by our podcast producer, Luke Bly and Googling quiz sheets, Liam Marsh. How you doing, guys? Oh, mate, that is something a sore loser would say. (laughs) (laughs) I've been waiting for that all day. I didn't lose that, did I? I I wonder how Fred's going to pull this up. I mean... Well, how did I cheat? <laughs> in, in many ways, you constantly googled it. <laughs> Wait, <mate. laughs> I've got no mate. response. I mean, I mean, you know, you lost, mate. So hmm. you just got to, you know, put your head down and uh, look forward to the next one. I had a yeah. message through uh, the B1M's Instagram from a guy called Francois, and he said Fred definitely won the quiz after Liam admitted to not actually knowing the last answer. <laughs> Which was worth five points. So I, I'm not a sore loser because I'm not actually a loser. I'm the winner. But hey, I hold my head high. Yeah, you first, first to come second, mate. <laughs> oh, what, what is it? These che- cheesy comebacks, cheesy comebacks <laughs> from like the nineties. Um, listen, I I did something pretty good on the weekend. I went to Buckingham Palace, boys. Wow, went to Buckingham Palace, yeah. They do the, I think it's only for like short windows of the year while they're doing renovations around a lot of the property in the palace. Um, you can go and visit. And so, yeah, we, we booked tickets a while back. And, oh, um, you weren't invited then. Oh, you yeah. No, to go on, and visit. Oh, I thought, I thought oh, it might be a bit of a phone call. <laughs> From old Charlie boy. No, 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 no. <laughs> Do you know what though? We we love we're like national trust members. So we love like stately homes. We like going to like properties and and castles and 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 we love our history. It was sensational. It was really 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 good. But something that I couldn't believe, right, was from from the back of the house, right, from the gardens and from any of the rooms like that that are west facing. You can see I think it's called the um, Hyde Park Tower, but it's like a hotel tower. This concrete, horrible, disgusting building from pretty much <laughs> any any window in Buckingham Palace. And it's like, no wonder King Charles now, no wonder King Charles hates high-rise buildings. Because if that's what he has to look out at, and if that's what he grew up looking at, I don't blame him. It's disgusting. There we go. 
there we go. I mean, the king isn't here to defend himself or speak for himself. I should say that I, th- I think there's a deeper, he has a deeper running feeling about modern architecture versus heritage architecture. But um, I don't think so. It could be. It could just be <laughs> looked out the window one day and was like, what is that? Now, yeah. I, hate, <laughs> now, now I hate sours. <laughs> we'll never know. Well, if you get a proper invite, mate, we'll have to, um, have to ask him. One day. Maybe it'll be you, mate. Maybe it'll be you next. Or maybe yeah. Liam for winning the quiz. Maybe. so brilliantly you know like he's gonna hear about it and go yeah get old uh mr marsh down to the palace asap uh, it's good yeah it's really the opportunity good. to get charles on to have a rant about architecture is gone now he's become sovereign he can't really uh can't really voice his views that Ooh. more clearly but anyway yeah, you're right liam I'm good mate i'm good not much happening over here, guys, to be honest. I, I, I am living a very boring life. I'm just doing some DIY to my house and working for the B1M. There you go. I'm reading up on architecture and architecture history, researching the tallest buildings <laughs> in different countries. Yes, Ooh, that is yeah, it. Yeah, just becoming an architecture buff all round, mate. It's fantastic to see. Pretty much, mate. I think, I think yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I spend my spare time reading up on big infrastructure projects in South America, the world's tallest skyscrapers. In a list per city. It's good. <laughs> you can't even, hang on. You can't, how am I meant to have cheated on these questions? What am I meant to Google? Name the top five cities, tallest skyscrapers in order. You got that wrong. one wrong. You can't really Google that one. So. <laughs> so. Have you seen me type? I type like one word a minute. <laughs> Yeah, that's how you talk as well. I, I also had a message on Instagram <laughs> saying you clearly won that quiz from a guy called Nick J. Faulkner. <laughs> Your mate Nick. <laughs> then when you went, it's I think I think it's the silk belt road. Like you just you just like picked that's genuine, words out of the That sky. was genuinely me trying to remember what it's called. <laughs> and I was afraid you'd laugh at me if I said it wrong. Do you know I what I think? I was trying to say the exact thing. As I said, I think history is going to be uh, the judge of this, and I, I'm, I'm going to be judged in quite a good light. So, <laughs> anyway, we'll have another quiz in future, guys. We'll, uh, we'll go, we might, it might just become a quiz podcast, maybe just mm. the big architecture quiz. Maybe that's the podcast. Mm. Don't yeah. know. Anyway, uh, we've got some good things coming up for you this week, guys. Uh, first thing to shout out is uh, Get Construction Talking, our mental health initiative. Please do go and check out getconstructiontalking.org and donate and look at some of our resources there. We are passionate about raising awareness of mental health in construction and would appreciate any support you can provide us, whether that's monetary uh, or in sharing our resources or even just starting a conversation with your mate. That would be much appreciated. Coming up on this episode, we are talking about India's first high-speed railway, the UK's rack concrete issue, Harley Davidson's motorcycle theatre progressing in Milwaukee. And as always, we've got plenty of comments from your week. Lots of debate between me, Luke and Liam. It's going to be good fun. Let's get cracking. Let's get the show on the road. Let's go. First this week, we are talking about India's first high-speed railway. This is a massive, massive project. Bit of context for you, India, as you probably know, has a vast rail network. It's actually the fourth largest in the world and has a total rail length of 70,000 kilometres. I can't get my head around those kind of numbers. That's a, that's a big old rail network. Every year, it's used to move over a billion tonnes of freight and more than 8 billion passengers across what is now the world's most populated country. I didn't know that India had overtaken China, but um, it has. 
there you go. Despite this massive rail network, many of the trains in India are slow, overcrowded, old and uncomfortable. Not every train, but that is the, the general theme. And that does kind of sit in stark contrast to the networks that you find in other neighbouring countries, particularly China, as we've covered them on the B1M before, who have an enormous, uh, very advanced and fast-growing high-speed rail network connecting all their cities. The network in India is also pretty dangerous. Tens of thousands of people are killed in railway-related accidents every year on average in the country. Uh, and as you guys probably remember, we talked about it a bit on this podcast, but you'll have seen the news Earlier this summer, in June 2023, the country experienced one of its worst train disasters ever when a signalling failure in Odisha caused three trains to collide and derail. Hundreds of people were killed, over a thousand people were injured, and it led to serious questions around the safety of India's very big, ageing railway network. Into all this, in the context of all this, the country is progressing with the construction of its first ever high-speed rail network. And the plan with that is to connect all its major cities, so bring all the major cities closer together to get some of that economic growth, the economic boost that comes with high-speed rail, doing what other big superpowers have done. USA excluded, I should say, because there's not much for high-speed network in the USA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but some are questioning the priority of this. There's lots of money, lots of government-funded money going into new, new new railways, new stations, new trains. There's not a lot going into the upgrading and fixing or safety improvements on the existing network. So that's where we stand. Hot takes on India's trains, guys. What you got? I think it feels um, to me as someone who's never been to India and someone who lives in the UK, it feels like India is doing a lot to not just improve infrastructure in the country, but to really put the country on the map. You know, this, I mean, this country just put like a, um, you know, a team on, on the moon, didn't they? I don't think there were any astronauts on board. It was all done remotely, but nevertheless, that's a massive deal. And I'm kind of surprised it wasn't a bigger deal on like news and TV, you know, in, in, in the UK anyway, I don't know about anywhere else, but that's, that's a huge accomplishment. That is a huge accomplishment and rail man. Yeah. You just look at what it's done in, in Japan over like the last 50 years to high speed rail. You look at what it's done in China in the last like 10, 20 years. It is so powerful, you know, cutting journeys from like 10 plus hours to two hours so, you know, it makes it like that's that's the difference between like a flight from London to LA or drive from or me driving down to like West Sussex. Do you know what I mean? Like that, th- these are huge, huge differences, huge numbers. Um, mate, well impressed. I'm really, really excited. But it's yeah, it's not all it's not all straightforward like a lot of projects. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys think about this because maybe it really needs to happen. Um, yeah, I, I think it definitely needs to happen as well, mate. I, I find it really interesting that the US and the UK don't have high-speed rail. I know HS2, and we've covered that loads on this on this platform. Um, I find it really interesting that they're, they're building it. And like we're saying, we, we focused on the US before. Doesn't I mean, what are they doing in California? They're building a high-speed rail, which is quite controversial and things like that. Obviously, they're all quite controversial. Um, mm. But when looking at like the maps in the video, how it's literally linking up the whole country, to me, that just it, it just makes it pretty clear that it needs to happen and, and the benefits that it will have. Um, I can't really speak too much on <clears throat> why they're not upgrading existing networks and things like that. But yeah, I, I think 
this would be fantastic for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how like the issue with the train network in India and, you know, because there's, there's delays, there's overcrowding, it is notoriously dangerous. That combined with traffic congestion on the roads has pushed a lot of people into short haul flights. And there's obviously a lot of stuff uh, in the media around the impact of India and China on carbon emissions and on climate change. I'm not saying for a moment that uh, the massive short haul flight market in the US and Europe is exempt from any of that. I think we all play our part. But there is a bit more focus at the minute on the fact that India and China are doing are producing a lot more emissions than other countries. They would say it's their turn. They, they're having their kind of industrial revolution if you like now they're having they're going through their sort of huge periods of economic growth right now and they don't see why they should have to do it in a in a more sustainable way than the west did a few decades ago a few centuries ago so there's that kind of debate raging in the background to this i think it's interesting the thing about high-speed rail in other countries right because you can see it makes huge sense in china if you can do build a quick efficient cheap network it boosts your economy it helps people travel it can address housing crises it helps with urban development. It's a huge, huge deal. You can see the business case for it in China and India. You can see the business case for it in the US. It hasn't happened because of the massive reliance on cars and air travel. And there's almost it's so, the problem is so deeply culturally baked in in the US now that building a high-speed rail network successfully, cost-effectively, and opening it in a way that is cheaper and more convenient than cars or planes is next to impossible. Where I don't really see the business case is in the UK, and we talked about this in the HS2 video. We're not a big country geographically. All of our cities are reasonably close together. You can Mm. get a fast train between them. The problem is we've had massive underinvestment in the rail network uh, and and ridiculous high prices. So it's it's almost impossible. Well, for me to go from London to Manchester now, or from London to Edinburgh, the cheapest way, the cheapest, most convenient way to do it is with a short haul flight. That's terrible for the environment. But to get a train, you're talking literally three times the costs, and that's that's rubbish. That's not working for us, right? I mean, we we have like loads of mixed opinions on HS2 and high speed in the UK, right? And like you said, I suppose our geography, our, our, our geography is actually pretty unique in that you can drive through like Manchester, Birmingham, London in one afternoon, right? You can drive through our, some of our biggest cities in one afternoon. Um, a lot of places aren't like that, even in Europe. However there's still a lot of debate and a lot of split opinions in the UK over HS2. A lot of people pro for it. A lot of people are anti it. What what seems to be the consensus right now in India for for this sort of project? Like, have you seen anything online or like any from 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 like any politicians or anything like that? It's funny. I think most of the coverage I've seen around it came from the event that happened in in June this year, the terrible crash in Odisha, and I think. A lot of the coverage and a lot of the anger coming out of that was that the government is doing these big, shiny new projects, but not investing or addressing safety issues on the existing network. And and to put this network into context, guys, and then we talked about 70,000 kilometers and 8 billion passengers a year. It is an enormous network over a vast country that is the most populated country in the world. There's all kinds of different types of geography. There's remote areas. It is... It's not like your standard railway in your sort of medium-sized European country. It is This is a big, sprawling beast. So the scale of upgrading it, addressing safety, just managing it is is huge. Mm. So at the moment, they have this enormous plan to build uh, a high-speed network right across the country, as I said, connecting all their major cities together. 
For now, there's just one single line under construction along the country's western edge, uh, but that alone is throwing up some massive engineering challenges. So that is linking uh, Mumbai and Ahmedabad, both massive economic industrial hubs. Uh, This part of the railway is 500 kilometers long, and there's going to be 12 new stations being built. Now, (laughs) this this is the power of the train, right? Driving between these cities currently takes about nine hours without traffic. Uh, that's compared to kind of six hours on the existing railway. With the new railway, which is going to have a top speed of 200 miles per hour, which is twice as quick as India's current fastest railway, uh, the trains are going to ch- uh, the trains are going to cut all that journey time down to just two hours. So what's currently like a day's journey is going to become a two-hour hop, which is huge for uh, hiring people in a different city, getting them to commute down to your city, hmm. access to different labour pools, access to materials, access to other businesses, services. That's where the economic growth is. Um, passengers are going to ride on Shinkansen trains, which uh, if it sounds Japanese to you, that's because it is Japanese. Railway is being part-funded by Japanese loans to the tune of $4.5 billion US dollars. Uh, that's a good thing, uh, so the people in the video say, because they're not just getting some money from Japan, they're getting expertise from Japan. Japan is a place that knows its high-speed bullet trains, even building maglev trains right now. So, mm. yeah, it's good to have those guys on board. Uh, 92% of this track in India is going to be elevated on viaducts and bridges. That's important, right, because it means the line can be built over rivers and existing infrastructure, and the environmental impact is reduced it's also easier to acquire the land. So you've not got to go, we're going to go and build a great big tunnel under a river. We're going to go and dig a tunnel under a city. We're going to have to acquire all these properties, all this roadway. We're going to have to take over farmers' fields. You've literally suspended it up in the air on stilts. Uh, the route also includes the first undersea rail tunnel in the whole of India, uh, which is seven kilometers long and runs under Thane Creek in Mumbai. That's the kind of biggest bit of water this railway goes under that bit isn't a tunnel as we said rest of it is kind of sailing over the city and the landscape uh, on viaducts and bridges construction is now 30 percent complete but it's not going to be finished until at least 2028 because and even though i've just said that putting it up on stilts makes it easier disputes with landowners has been a big problem so they've, they've managed to acquire most of the route but some of the route's been very very sticky they can't acquire the land to put these stilts and columns down on it's also been going on for so long that you've had political parties come to power with different priorities so you had one party come in that were like pro the railway then another one being like oh we're not having this we're going to cancel the railway and then another one coming in saying oh we're pro the railway we're going to start it again so it's been on again off again and the completion date that was going to be 2022 has now gone back to 2028 feels like your classic high-speed railway to me i mean this is this is what the UK's done. It, the, the infrastructure projects like this they transcend uh, political parliaments and periods of time and, and to- periods in office. So you get different governments doing different things, different ways, and suddenly your completion date has gone back ten years, like HS two. Mm. The um, what you're saying, how they're going to build most of it up on stilts, made me think of um, uh, a project I saw recently, a video in uh, Chongqing in southeast China. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Every two minutes, a subway passes through a 19-story building where hundreds where hundreds of people live. The, the, it passes, but <clears throat> sorry, there's an even there's even a train stop called Elizabeth between the sixth and eighth floor. That's just made me think of that. I've just put it 
through these apartments. So you, you're sitting there, um, there's a video and the guy's on the street and he's filming, watching the train, watch the train, and then you just see this building and it just goes, goes through it and disappears into the building. It's I've insane. seen that. I've seen that, yeah. And and you have like parts of the city centre that looks like it's like street level floor, like ground level, and then you turn around and it's just like a load of the city's been built on top of a cliff. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. like or a hill and it, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. it's amazing what they can do with this. Yeah. Like with with, with construction. Well the, the Japanese trains, I think I don't know if this is a concept or or if it's actually happening with the high some of the high speed trains. I mean, in Korea, actually, when they drive through uh, residential areas where there's like apartment buildings, the windows actually frost over, so people in the trains aren't actually looking into the into the residential wow, houses. That's clever. Yeah, it's really cool. Really, really cool. Yes, yes. I but- I think I've seen that as well, and I think I've heard that mentioned as well. The the the, the whole Japanese train. Um, Obviously, using the Shinkansen train, so that make, it makes makes a ton of sense because it's proven it works. It works in Japan, and they've got the Japanese in to help them. They've even got Japanese members of staff from the high speed in Japan, like teaching them, like like the drivers how to do it and like the the, the routes. And so you can see that collaboration. I thought just to look at like the the the, the bigger picture in Asia in particular, but around the world, but in Asia in particular. You, you hear and you see a lot of Chinese investment in, in huge infrastructure projects, don't you? But it's interesting to see that this project has actually been done by the, by the Japanese. And I wonder if that is too arguably or allegedly, right? Because I, I don't know the facts. I'm just, I'm just shooting the breeze here, yeah? But like, is that to maybe counterbalance just how much investment from the Chinese are? Do you think the Japanese are starting to go, hang on, let, we, can, we can get in? on this maybe and help India who aren't always don't always see eye to eye with the way the Chinese government do things. Do, do you think that plays a part into this a little bit? Yeah, possibly. I think this, in this case, it's probably more to do with they got a better deal with the Japanese and the Japanese have really good experience in both manufacturing trains and building high-speed railways between cities. Um, I think okay. there are some projects in India that are linked with China's Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, there's the Dubai, sorry, the <laughs> Dubai. There is the Delhi-Mumbai Industrial Corridor, the DMIC in India, uh, which is another sort of major trade route project that's being built. Massive. I think it's the second biggest infrastructure project after the um, the Silk Belt Road, as Liam would call it, um, between between China and Europe. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so there are there are projects all around the region, including in India, that are linked to China's uh belt and road initiative or one belt one road whatever you want to call it that thing mm, mm, um mm. but the the countries like india would benefit from it as well so they're getting some of the economic growth from it as well so india isn't completely divorced from china in this but you're right there's there is not a lot of love lost sometimes between the two and they are a little bit in conflict with each other it could have been a factor i mm. kind of think it's more just that they got a good deal with japan i reckon mm. Mm, fair enough Fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I'm meant to be going to Japan next year. One of the things I'm looking forward to the most is riding on a bullet train. We have kind of like a plan to go to from Tokyo to Osaka and Osaka to Kyoto, I think, and like another place. And the trains are just like we've been watching a few um like vlogs and travel tips online, and people just say, like, just don't worry. Like, just do not worry. Things are so efficient. 
<laughs> things just happen on time and everything works and it's just it's synonymous with kind of the the the, the japanese approach and the japanese way of life i suppose the culture um and so i wonder how that will translate to to like india you know and to all of the different cultures in india because you know japan's one thing japan's a huge country but india india's not just a country is it it's a subcontinent yeah you got like different religions you got different ethnicities you you basically got a mix of different countries all united as one huge mega country now the largest population in the world so it'd be interesting to 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 see how that works i suppose in comparison to how the japanese have done it but um i just want to circle back to the construction mate like 30% complete and there are political parties coming in and going no i think we should scrap it i like i d- i don't get that i really really don't get that i don't get how you can already have so much money invested in something 30% built and go and still have the opinion of no nah, i don't think we should build it yeah it looks know. like they'll they'll tweak it in some way because it's like well the previous administration were losing money on this 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 so we're going to come in and we're going to change it we're not going to cancel it because we get that we've spent some money on this and we should build it and yeah. the public opinion generally wants it but we're going to say actually we're going to make it xyz different now and there are improvements or in some cases they're like it, it, was, it was worse than the national government it was one regional government that was like well we don't want this railway coming through our region because you know the farmers and the landowners vote for us so we're going to stop it and dig our heels in and it's it's democracy but it's also a very difficult way to get anything done sometimes um and that probably does underline a little bit why china has been so successful with its high-speed railway because they do just get on and build it you know whether there's an ancient burial ground or a church or a cemetery or school they just kind of generally speaking plow right through um but i think china's an interesting model because that is another enormous country with all Mm. kinds of different geography all kinds of uh different provinces uh perspectives and to have built a unified high-speed rail network in that country is incredible and i think there's that's that underlines the disconnect i think between the fact you've got china which has one model of government versus india the usa britain europe Mm. which are democracies Oh, see, there's a deeper, deeper theme to this video, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, you, if you squint, it's there. It's definitely <laughs> there. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you, if TLDR, right? This is basically uh, another high-speed rail project being built by a country. They're only building one part of it. It's not going very well. Everyone's arguing over it. It's over budget. It's going to be late. Uh, could be any high-speed rail project, pretty much, outside of China. So <laughs> get your comments coming in, guys. Let us know what you think about this. There are, I'm joking aside, there are some huge uh, economic benefits to spoke about with this. And taking aside all the politics and the should they, shouldn't they, there is an incredible feat of construction and engineering going on to build this from one major city to another major city, over 500 kilometers through some incredible landscapes in the way they're doing it is remarkable. Uh, so go and check out the video, have a look, let us know what you think and get your comments coming in, podcast at the b1m.com. So today's episode is sponsored by Bluebeam. Thank you once again to Bluebeam for sponsoring our podcast. We really, really appreciate your support. Trusted by over 2.5 million professionals in over 160 countries, Bluebeam develops innovative technology solutions that set the standard for AECO project efficiency and digital collaboration. 
Bluebeam's desktop, mobile, and cloud-based solutions are specially designed to improve communication and simplify processes across the entire project lifecycle. The key to Bluebeam's success is a customer-focused approach to product developments. Bluebeam works with the industry to create solutions for the industry. That is a really important point because I've seen a lot of different uh, technology solutions before that are developed in a dark room and they go out and try and sell them. But uh, the beauty of Bluebeam and what I've seen them do over many years is really perfect their product, listen to their user groups, develop solutions that the industry actually needs. And that, you know, that for me is one of the big reasons behind the success it says right here. They're actually making something that the industry needs and relies on. And it just, the fact that 2.5 million people in 160 countries now use this speaks for itself. Headquartered in Pasadena, California, Bluebeam now has additional offices throughout the US, UK, Germany, Sweden, and Australia. They're even down where Liam is. Fantastic. Global domination by Bluebeam. Bluebeam is a proud member of the Nemeshek Group. You can discover what Bluebeam can do for you and your business by starting your free 30-day trial today over at bluebeam.com. We've talked about it before. You won't find a trial more generous or helpful than that, guys. Free, 30 days, bluebeam.com. It's your one takeaway from this podcast, right? All you've got to do, well, there's a few takeaways. Obviously, uh, leave public comments about how Liam stole the quiz. Leave a nice review. Click the five-star button. But also, head on over to bluebeam.com. Get your free 30-day trial. Try this out. 2.5 million people in 160 countries. Can't be wrong. Okay, give it a go, guys. Let us know what you think. That is free 30-day trial over at bluebeam.com. Also in the news this week, there is a huge news story in the UK as the British government has changed its guidance last week and told over 150 schools with unsafe buildings to close them just before the start of a new school year. Now, this is all due to the presence of something called rack or reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Now, most of us probably haven't heard of rack before, but basically it's a type of lightweight concrete that was used really extensively in roof, wall and floor construction from the post-war period right up until the mid-1990s when people kind of identified that it wasn't the best material to use. Now, it was cheaper and easier to produce than regular concrete, okay? It comes in long planks, it doesn't contain aggregates, but it's also uh, less durable. So it only really has a 30-year lifespan. It's aerated, it's lighter, there's less material in it, which is what makes it cheaper and easier to produce, as I said. And in the post-war periods, when uh, people were trying to rebuild uh, countries quickly, as fast and efficiently as possible, it made a lot of sense to use a cheap, widely available material. It was widely known then that it only had a 30-year lifespan, that it was built kind of to a substandard level, but it was good to get the job done. What's now coming to light is that many of the buildings that have this material in, the rack material in, have not been maintained properly or invested in over the years. So some of the rack that has been installed in the mid-1990s, even in the 80s, is still in place in school buildings and in many other buildings as well. Uh, and that's now causing issues. There is a bit of a timeline to this. And I think it's important to get this timeline across. There was a rack ceiling that collapsed in a school in Kent in 2018. It collapsed in a staff room on a Saturday, so thankfully no one was hurt or injured. But after that incident, people realised actually this rack stuff can fail without warning. It, it, before this panel collapsed, the day before, there were no signs of structural damage or any weakness or any kind of uh, signs that might cause an issue. 
So that incident in 2018 kind of changed the dynamic a bit. The government started surveying schools. They gave them guidance on what to look for, what RAC looks like. Um, and then over time, over the last few years, the kind of the risk has been steadily elevated by the Department for Education. Uh, and then a couple of other collapses off school sites uh, over this summer changed the government's calculus. And they said, right, look, of these 150 schools, and it's worth saying there are 22,000 schools in England, of these 150, I think it's 156 schools to be precise as I sit here right now. Things are moving quite quickly, but I think it's 156. They need to close those spaces. So they can't let kids go into those classrooms, those gyms, those corridors, those dining halls, if there's rack in place until it's either been removed or it's been propped up. So what this has resulted in is the week before schools go back, a lot of uncertainty across the the whole of the school system in the UK because people are trying to get surveys done to understand where RAC is, uh, if it poses a risk or not. And we've got 156 schools that have either partially closed or fully closed because of this issue. This points to a bigger thing for me where the issue's been known about. Okay, We knew RAC was a problem and they were dealing with it. They were surveying it, they were aware of it. But the underinvestment in the school estate, the lack of funding to get this problem sorted, the lack of priority to get this problem sorted, is now really coming back to roost with the UK government. And I have to say, we don't do politics on this show, but the Labour government from the 1990s up to uh, 2010 did do a lot of investment in schools. They did a big schools rebuilding program called Building Schools for the Future. I worked on the Building Schools for the Future program. Uh, It was cut the day that David Cameron took office in 2010. The context, of course, was the economy. Um, We entered an age of austerity where they wanted to kind of reduce spending. The situation where we've had austerity for 13 years and effectively austerity for 13 years and these issues that should have been dealt with just haven't been prioritised and haven't been dealt with. There's a thing that came out yesterday in the UK. The Department for Education were asking for funding for three to 400 schools to address this issue. They got funding for 50 schools. It's just... (laughs) It's just unreal. Sorry, rant over. <laughs> it's uh, it's the same thing over and over, isn't it? You know, buy cheap, buy twice sometimes. And I know that that wasn't always the the they didn't there wasn't another option for some situations and some bits of infrastructure and construction, especially in the UK after the Second World War. Like we're tearing down a lot of these flats, right? Um, but it's when it's done on a cheap again. It's when we don't learn our own lessons and. I don't want to, um, you know, take away the seriousness of it, but it, it was the similar thing with Grenfell, you know, poor construction and poor cladding was put on it as, you know, cheap investment because it kind of ticked a box. And yeah, it's frustrating, mate. And this, this is this is the, this is the sad bit of construction. I think is when things are just done on the cheap. It's not good enough. So how do they? How are they going to fix this? What do you reckon, Fred, Mister Construction Man? Well, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> what they what they need to do is either go in and uh, put temporary props in to make this building safe, which is not a good idea, uh, or do remedial works to remove the rack and replace the roofs and ceilings. Now that takes time and money, as you probably guessed. That means kids in porter cabins or in temporary arrangements or worse this week you've got online learning for kids going back and starting a new school year which is just just unreal um i think this going back to the the kind of the timing and the politics around this i think 
you know, the lesser of two evils has been chosen here. You, know, you can disrupt kids' education but keep them safe, and they've made the right decision to to shut the schools where they're not safe. But this issue has been bubbling for ages, and it's sort of the government's own making because they've underinvested in the school estate for so long. So yeah. to answer the question, Liam, it's difficult. There's a lot of costly, expensive work that's got to go on in what is currently the, the minority of UK schools. But you know, Luke brings up Grenfell. The Grenfell fire was in 2017. They're still sorting out cladding on buildings. There are still people sleeping tonight in dangerous buildings. Like, I understand the pressures on on finances and stuff, and and you know, we can debate you know what the right economic approach is from different governments. But as a, as a society, if we're not investing in our schools, what does that say about? What we're trying to do. What does it say to our kids about how they feel about education or how important education is? What does it say to them about how they're being shaped in life? I mean, these these environments shape kids as they're starting out in life. It's just like yeah, cutting corners on schools. It, beyond me. Mm. Anyway. Spot on, mate. Spot on. <laughs> no, no, no. Spot on. And I'm glad we brought it up. Yeah, because it's construction news at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I think obviously there's a hefty dose of politics with this. No, don't, we don't normally do politics, but there all, it also isn't politics in a way. It's a building safety issue. We're talking about kids going to school being safe, and I think yeah, we've talked very much about this being a UK issue, and it's blown up and been a huge uh, UK news story because our current prime minister was the chancellor at the time who oversaw some cuts around uh, school funding. We've had a government in place for 13 years who've been uh, largely responsible for this issue, or should have been responsible for sorting out this issue faster. Um, but this issue does affect all kinds of buildings. So RAC has been used uh, across buildings in Europe and other countries as well. Uh, it's not just schools. It's been used in uh, Ministry of Justice buildings from uh, courts to prisons. It's been used in all sorts of public sector buildings like leisure centres, offices, uh, all kinds of things. So this is a, a bigger issue that's going to be unfolding over the next few months and weeks, I think. But uh, yeah, let us know what you think about this, guys. Has your school been affected by rack? Are you aware of rack? Do you have any questions about rack? Again, this is reinforced, autoclaved, aerated concrete. I'm sure Liam's going to get that right on the next quiz. <laughs> it's the sort of thing he's just we're able to pull from his mind out of the air to answer a question. So uh, yeah, guys, get your comments coming in. Podcast at the B1M.com. Is he going to react to that? Or are we going to move on? Is he going to, is he going to rise? <laughs> No, mate, I won't, I won't play your games. <laughs> <laughs> that is a no comment from Liam Marsh. He's uh, taken the fifth there. I'm, I feel good. I feel good about the quiz outcome. feel good about life. I'm not, it's not in the back of my mind. I'm not worried about it. I'm ready to just which, move on. Which says a lot um, about your moral compass. So, <laughs> Awesome the news this week. We are swinging back over to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where Harley Davidson's open air 700 bay motorcycle theatre, which you may remember from a few months back on this podcast, back in January, that's how long ago that was, uh, is now taking shape. So we've got construction photos from Heatherwick Studio showing this thing coming together. It does look very nice. Uh, as at, at the moment, it's a building site, so you wouldn't expect trees and greenery, but there's a long way to go to add a lot of trees and greenery. Uh, just to refresh your minds on this, uh, project's being led by the Harley-Davidson Foundation, which has been engaging with local people to create a shared long-term vision for the neighbourhood. Uh, you've got this very fancy amphitheatre where there's going to be rock concerts in the middle. People can walk up, they can drive their motorcycles up. Uh, as many of you have pointed out, this peaceful external garden is going to be quite noisy 
and quite full, full of uh, fumes and fuel when a load of Harley Davidsons rock up. But hey, pretty unique project, I think. So the idea of this, right? You just rock up, you park up, you chill out, and then you go. So it's like a park for motorbikes. Yeah. Well, there'd be a show on in the center. There'd be some kind of rock concert on in the center. So but you'd be but turning it's open up to watch. So it's not just a, a a public place where you can just go, oh, I'm going gonna... to... I believe it is just a public place. You can just rock up. It's like them giving back to the community. But they oh. will also do ticketed events there. This is where Harley Davidson was founded, right? Mm, I'm not a Harley Davidson uh, expert, so... So I'm I just trying to... So. Is there a lot of motorbike riders in Milwaukee? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I suppose so. There's got to be a market for it. Yeah, you know? surely they've done, it's very, done the research. It's very American as well, I suppose, isn't it? It's very American. And, um, yeah, I think I remember saying the first time around, like, it's a nice idea, but I, I, I still don't really get it. Just, like, riding your bike, really noisy. Everyone's going to get there at different times, and there's going to be a rock concert, and you can park your bike and watch some stuff i suppose i suppose if 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 i step back and you know acknowledge that i'm not a part of like the motorcycle community you know you not? I, I see yeah believe it or not mate oh, i thought not. you were mate yeah not even on sundays <laughs> not even on sundays um i it, it's yeah it seems interesting as a moped, mate, man <laughs> i'd rather ride a moped i would straight up mm. rather ride, like one of like a vespa Oh, Deliveroo. How cool, Deliveroo. <laughs> Lambretta. Yeah, Deliveroo. One of those, like, Super 73 oh. electric bikes. So when you say Vespa, I'm thinking of you, like, in a sunny European city, a baguette on the front, a long scarf blowing out behind you, some goggles. On on our honeymoon in Bali, yeah. An accordion playing, um, maybe. We had a, an accordion. Yeah, that's it. That would be me as well, doing that. <laughs> We we had a scooter included in our accommodation, yeah, and we were like, we're we're rather like, core, you know, like they, they, this is rough here, you know, like some of the scooter driving here is 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 a bit crazy, but I was still up for it, and I was like, no, let's do it, let's go. The day before we were going going to go on a trip to the middle of the island on our little moped on our little scooter, our missus was going to be on the back, um, is when she got bit by the monkey, yeah. And then, <laughs> so the monkey's back. <laughs> the monkey's back. But next to us was an American girl visiting who who basically just completely shot her leg to pieces. I think, like, she <laughs> destroyed her knee from a moped injury and it put me off. I was like, yeah, I, no, that's, if, if, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. Yeah, I'm not doing it. So and we didn't. You've never ridden, never ridden one before, man. Because that's like the best way to experience like Indonesia, Thailand, places like that. Just get a scooter, just go nuts. It I is know. quite funny. You mentioned not funny that the girl crashed, but whenever you go to those places, <laughs> say Thailand, when I was there last, you do see heaps of Brits with just like scraped up knees and, and elbows. <laughs> it's like I'm going to have a couple. Like they think it's a good idea. I've never ridden a scooter. I'm going to go to the bar, and then I'm going to ride home, not yeah. wear a helmet. That's but, it. mate. That yeah. sucks. You didn't do it because it's honestly the best way. To get around those islands, I know, so like I know. Backpack, it was just just go touring around. 
It was just, you know, we got bit by the monkey and we were like, ah, <laughs> oh, we were like, ah, oh, you know what? This, this, this ain't it. This ain't it. But maybe going back to the Harley thing. I was maybe to, thank you. I was about to say, it's um, remarkable sometimes <laughs> how far this podcast can digress and the holes we can go down. I was going to say like an important safety issue, guys. Stay safe on your mopeds, but also don't play an accordion riding, an op- riding a moped. Just something to, be, no. something to bear in mind. Thank you, Luke. Let's bring it back Whoa. to Milwaukee and Harley. It's it's yeah, a watch, nice. It's... Watch out for monkeys. <laughs> watch out for monkeys. Yeah. Don't play an accordion. Maybe get some knee pads. Yeah, true. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not part of the motor. Like, if I was a biker, maybe I'd look at this and go, "Oh, this is a great idea." You know, like somewhere for the lads to meet up and have a you know a, a non-alcoholic tinny. You know, and li- maybe maybe it's a really, really, really good idea. But I'm I, right now. I don't really see it. But that's probably because I'm outside of the the, the demographic it's built for. I maybe. could I could say I'm I've got a foot in the door to the bikey community, like a bike motorbike riders. I don't, I don't actually do it. I have my motorbike license, right? I'm gonna get I get I get my full. It transitions to a full, so I get a full power bike in like May next year. I don't know if I'd go down there. Hmm. You know, but I mean, I'm not the demographic. I'm just, yeah, because yeah. this is for bikers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for bikers, like Harley bikers. And, <laughs> I want to bring know, in some comments levels. here because we're, we're talking about a demographic who aren't here to talk about themselves. So I just want to bring in some comments. The comments in this are amazing. Uh, one chap saying Harley riders, bikers in general, are the kindest people you'll meet, which I think is a really nice thing to say. Uh, Quentin saying a motorcycle theatre that is one of the most American things I've ever heard <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of likes mm-hmm. uh, Nicholas I'm not sure if this is a bit of a dig but he's saying um, this construction project is about as interesting as, and exciting as the city I think he might be having a little bit of a dig at Milwaukee there uh, we've got Diego saying Harley Davidson times Heatherwick is the collab this world didn't need yeah Noise yeah. pollution is going to be crazy. Yet another joke. These renders are too utopian for the reality. Uh, and then we've got another one here. This is from a guy called... Well, he's called Master Fred. Oh. Only, seven, only 71 followers, so it can't be me. There's no, there's no K after the follower number, which is a bit strange. Uh, he says, A lot of bikers I know are genuinely sweet people, and having a playground for them that's also accessible for the public sounds like a win to me. Just needs some method of noise insulation for any surrounding neighbourhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are the people talking about the oil leaks, how much noise there's going to be? Um, yeah. And then someone else, this is Tyler, saying, I like that you're including coverage of an underappreciated US city like Milwaukee. They've had some cool construction in the last several years. Oh. There you go. Mm. There you go. N- next video, Fred. Next video, Fred. Milwaukee. There you go, yeah. mate. I was oh. just going to immerse myself in the... Uh, Wisconsin Harley bikers community for a week. It'd be hilarious. Yeah, I think you would be very popular there for some reason. <laughs> um, what's the Wi-Fi code? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, let us know what you think about this. This is a very nice green park for motorbikes to turn up and watch a concert. Uh, give us your thoughts. Podcast at the B1M.com. It's that time of the week, Luke. We are sliding mm. over to the DMs. What you got for us, mate? So, uh, to start off, we got an email from Martin. Uh, Martin Petroc, or Petroch. Uh, he says, Dear podcast team, my name is Martin, and a couple months back, I started working in a company where I use point clouds together with Revit. Revit. 
I find it very interesting how you can use BIM years after building is built uh, with the help of scanned data. I was wondering if you ever hear or see anything about 3D scanning and point clouds are you, and how point clouds are used in construction on uh, on the podcast or YouTube channel. Kind regards, Martin. Um, Fred, anything you can shine a light on? <laughs> we're going to throw one to Fred. <laughs> yeah, I was like... Don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for your, thanks for your email, Martin. We've actually done a lot of stuff on point clouds over the years and how they've been used in construction. Um, actually, a few years back, we commissioned a point cloud survey of a her- of a heritage church in London. So we hired a heritage church for a day uh, and commissioned the point cloud survey to explain how scan to BIM works. So how you can basically use point cloud laser surveys, which are these lasers that spin round incredibly fast on, on a tripod, effectively, uh, and capture millions of data points a second to build a a virtual 3d picture of a building or space and you can then import that data as a three-dimensional model into um i can say cad software design software as part of Mm. a building information modeling environment uh, and that can inform what you've got the state of a current building state of surrounding buildings the state of a site so that you can then design and build off that it's an incredible uh tool I should say it's used in a lot of other industries as well. So it's used uh, in in crime and forensics quite a bit. So often when there's been a crime scene, they will laser scan a crime scene to make sure that they've got everything recorded in the right position before the scene is cleared up. Uh, transport police and traffic police use it a lot on the roads. So where there's been a crash on a motorway, they will laser scan the site. So they've recorded the site and then quickly clear the site to get the motorway open again. Um, but it's now coming into construction. It's been used a lot in the restoration of heritage buildings, but also in checking as built, so making sure that what you've built is what's been designed. Um, so yeah, it's cool. Another example. So I've just come to my head. Uh, they strapped it to an aeroplane. They often do it for like aerial scan to BIM surveys of sites. They used it in that video we did about the Transmatra Road. So to map the jungle floor and the terrain, they use a special type of it's it's a bit different. It's called lidar, which is uh, a kind of imaging technology to understand the terrain uh, and plan the project without having to go traipsing through the jungle in a thousand degrees, working out mm. where the hills and holes were. So we we also potentially could have one featuring on the MSG Sphere next month. So that'd be something to look out for. Yeah. Oh, get the ball also, rolling on that one. Also, oh. again, what we did with uh, on one Zabil in Dubai a couple of years back on the world's longest cantilever. That's that's probably one of my favourite projects we've covered. Yeah, Building that huge cantilever above the road while the road's still in mm-hmm. use, a busy highway. Um, mm-hmm. That was amazing as well. It, we talk about the product a lot in there and how it works. Go check that out. Yeah, definitely. Good, good email from Martin. Mm. Yes, yeah, nice, net proper yeah, construction nice. question. No abuse. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, it is. It's proper construct. That's why I read it out. It's really nice. No, thanks for sending that in, mine, mate. Really appreciate that. I just want to end um, with another email. This 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 person has actually asked to be kept uh, anonymous. <laughs> Always a just... good start. <laughs> <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> BYM team members. This. We're we're just gonna say um, his name is S. Okay, his name is S, and he's from South Africa, but. Um, it's 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 more of a thank you. Um, title of the email, Mental Health and Construction. He goes, Fred, so glad you brought this up. This is a major issue globally. Well done on swallowing your pride and shining the light on the fact that all this stress is actually not 
healthy. We can do better to protect each other's mental health. Um, and yeah, he goes on to talk about like a few things, a few personal things and working in South Africa. But yeah, um, I just wanted to say that because there, there's been one or two people who sent like thank yous, but it was a really, really sweet message. So I just wanted to acknowledge it like on the potty. So yeah, and no, I really appreciate that. Wh- whoever you are who sent that, and I really, really appreciate that. I think um, it means a lot for me to get those kind of messages. And I've got a lot of personal messages, private messages since we've started to get construction talking um, along a similar vein. And that kind of reassures me that it was the right thing to do like you say it wasn't an easy thing to do but i think we need prominent people in this industry to stand up and start normalizing the conversation and yeah breaking the stigma around this issue because we need to start acknowledging and talking about the issue if we're ever going to stand a chance of dealing with it addressing it and saving lives so i have to say it wasn't an easy thing for me to do I, i have days where i question whether or not i should have done it but uh in hindsight i do feel better from it and it's I, for anyone listening like it's not it's not something you can solve overnight it's a journey and i still have good and bad days i haven't had a very good couple of weeks quite frankly with my depression um but it's about managing it acknowledging it and you know seeing where seeing where you can find those wins and those little steps of progress someday so yeah thanks for the message and as i said guys there's more information over at get construction talking Org. We're raising money to lift up the charities. We've got resources for how you can help support and change the change the dynamic and help move the dial on mental health and construction. So yeah, go and check that out and we'd appreciate your support. Yeah, it's great stuff, mate. It's really, really good to see. Well, thanks for listening, guys. As always, we uh, want your feedback. We want your comments. We want your reviews. Get them all coming in. Uh, you can also email us at podcast at b1m.com. Someone sent me an email this week being like, oh, I think it was a message on Instagram. Like, can you remind me what the email address is for the podcast? Because I listen, but I, never, I always forget to write it down. <laughs> I didn't reply. It's like, you're fishing. You're fishing for some kind of like conversation starter or some kind of scam. So, yeah. How many times do I say that in an episode, guys? Podcast at the B1M.com. <laughs> Get your messages coming in. Give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Go and check out that free 30-day trial of Bluebeam. Massive thanks to Bluebeam for sponsoring this episode. We really, really appreciate it. We love those guys so much. Uh, they're worldwide domination because there's great products, guys. Go and check it out. 30-day free trial, Bluebeam.com. Keep listening. Stay tuned. We're going to see you next week. Don't know, don't know where I'm going with that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs>